second year of his life, Nebuchadnezzar was ruling. His mind was troubled, but he could not see. So the king summoned the magicians, enchanters, sorcerers, and astrologers to tell him what he would bring. When they came in and stood before the king, he said to them, I have had a dream that troubles me, and I want to know what it means. Then the astrologers answered the king in Aramaic, O king, live forever. Tell your servants the dream, and we will interpret it. Then down to verses 27 and 28. Daniel replied, No wise man, enchanter, magician, or diviner can explain to the king the mystery he has asked about. But there is a God in heaven who reveals mysteries. He has shown King Nebuchadnezzar what will happen in days to come. Your dream and the visions that passed through your mind as you lay on your bed are these. Let's pray. God, sometimes we are just simply afraid. We are scared. Thank you, Lord, that although we have an uncertain future, we have a certain God that we can rest in, that we can trust in, that we can depend upon. And Father, we just want to continue to worship you. God, guide what we name our time. Lord, speak to us. We need to hear from you. Thank you for speaking on your behalf. Continue. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Amen. You know, life is a series of questions. And we want to know the future. I know when I first started noticing girls, they were scared. Wow, you just make me feel good. I don't know. You know. And then I'd say, well, I'd get a girlfriend. You know, I'd get a girlfriend. Who will she be? And then, you know, as the years passed, you're like, will I get married? Who will my wife be? And then there are questions like, you know, well, what kind of work will I do? God, is there anything I'm good at? What could you use me to do? And then, uh, will I have children? What will my children grow up? When will I die? We have these questions, you know, about the future. We, we try to understand the future, and, and we can't ever totally be ready for the future, right? I mean, there's some people, they plan tirelessly. I'm going to work out every possible detail according to every possible thing. That could happen. You can't do that. And then there's other people that, uh, you know, they're always blaming somebody else for where they are. Well, I know, I know, you know, it's going to be worse next year. You know, it's just going to be a terrible, no good, bad day, no matter what. And, you know, it's this person's fault or that person's fault. And then there's other people that say, well, you know, I'm going to take it day by day. And somehow, you know, just by the chances of, of uh, the yin and the yang or whatever that stuff is, that, you know, it'll, it'll end up good if I just do my part and if I, I just kind of move along. But the problem is, we just can't see everything. And we can't see clearly in what could happen in the future. Hey, we go down to see Cindy's family in Florida 
when you get on I-95, and man, that is a dangerous place to go. As a matter of fact, you know, if you want to go with the flow of the traffic, well, let's just say it's way over 70 miles an hour. I don't want to give you something else to blame your pastor for. They can use their pen up, okay? But you're going very fast, and okay, maybe I do. And yes, so you're going down, and, and here's the thing, you know, I, when I learned to drive, they said you're supposed to keep three car lengths on the interstate. You ever driven on the interstate? I'm not sure they give you half a car length, and they're weaving in and out, back and forth, and there's this thing that's always scared me to death. It's called blind spots, and even though you look in your mirror, you're like, well, is there anybody there, you know? Am I going to pull out, or are they going to pull out in front of me? And there are all these terrible things that can happen. And, and, man, if you think about it too much when you're going, you know, 85 or whatever it is through there, this could not end, this could be really bad. And the fact of the matter is there are blind spots in all our lives that we can't, we can't account for. And the truth is, if we could know every detail of the future, would we want to know every detail of the future. Because we've all had some heartaches and some difficulties in our life. And honestly, would I want to know 10 years from now on a Thursday at 3 o'clock this thing would happen so that I could spend 10 years worrying about and planning for how I could stop that from happening? Well, probably not. So I believe God in His wisdom sometimes holds information from us to protect us, to keep us from feeling just totally overwhelmed. And we look this morning, there is a story for us about a king, King Nebuchadnezzar, and he has this dream. And it really worries him. He, he's terrified. He's trying to figure out the dream. So what does he do? He calls in the professionals, the astrologers, those people who are supposed to be able to tell you the future. You know, we might say today, palm readers, you stay up late at night, sometimes they have all kinds of crazy commercials with people that can do certain things for a fee and, and tell you the future, what is going to happen. So anyway, let's look at our text here. It says that he's troubled, so he calls in these guys, and they give this bold proclamation. Verse 4 says, O king, live forever. Tell your servants the dream, and we will interpret it. We are the men. We are the guys. And we have got this down. So the king replied, This is what I have firmly decided. If you do not tell me what my dream was, and I interpret it, I will have you cut into pieces and your houses turned into a pile of rubble. Time for a little backtrack. Maybe I'm not quite the expert uh, I led you to believe. Oh, king, you said so. <laughs> So they answer, and, and they say, um, okay, king, uh, tell your servants the dream, in verse 7, and we will interpret. And the king answered, I'm certain you're trying to gain time, <laughs> because you realize this is what I have firmly decided. If you do not tell me the dream, there is just one penalty for you, and he's already told them what is coming, what they have to expect if they don't tell him exactly what he had dreamed. 
He wanted the details of the dream if they're really the guys that can do this. Verse 10, the scholars answered king, there's no one on earth who can do what the king asks. No king, however great and mighty, has ever asked such a thing of any magician or enchanter or astrologer. Guys, no person can do this, O king. That can't happen, O king. In Ecclesiastes 7, it says, When times are good, be happy. When times are bad, consider God has made the one as well as the other. Therefore, a man cannot discover anything about the future. So the future is unknown to us. No one has all the details of the future. No one understands it all. But then there's a second truth here. Although the future is unknown to us, it is known to God. Drop down to uh, verse 15. And it says, he asked the king's officer, why did the king issue such a harsh decree? Ariok then explained the matter to Daniel. At this, Daniel went to the king and asked the time so that he might interpret the dream for him. Daniel gathers his friends together and says, we need to pray. There is someone who knows the answer to this. It, it's not these uh, guys who claim to know the answer. It is God. And we need to go before God. And we need to cry out to Him so that we can get the answer that we need. As a matter of fact, in verse 16, it, it says um, that He might interpret the dream for Him. That's why they went before God. And then in verse 19, it says, During the night, the mystery was revealed to Daniel in a vision. And a vision's not when you're sleeping, that's a dream, but a vision is when you're awake. And suddenly God shows you what you need to know. And that is what happened. And as a result of that, Daniel responded. Um, look down our text at down 1920 and says, Daniel praised the God of heaven. And he got the answer. And he said, Praise be to the name of God forever and ever. Wisdom and power are his. He changes times and seasons. He disposes kings, raises up others. He gives wisdom to the wise and knowledge to the discerning. He reveals deep and hidden things. He knows what lies in darkness, what light dwells with him. I thank and praise you, God of my ancestors. You've given me wisdom and power. You've made known to me what we ask of you. You have made known to us the dream of the king. You see, although we don't know, our God does know. And he invites us to run to him. That's part of what prayer is about. To seek from him what we need to know to deal with what we don't know. That's how God works. I love Psalm 139. Uh, Psalm of David. He says, Oh Lord, you search me and you know me. You know when I sit and when I rise. You perceive my thoughts from afar. You discern my going out and my lying down. You are familiar with all my ways. Before a word is on my tongue, you know it completely, O oh Lord. Such knowledge is too wonderful for me, too lofty for me to attain. You hem me in behind and before. You have laid your hand upon me. Where can I go from your spirit? Where can I flee from your presence? 
If I go up to the heavens, you're there. If I make my bed in the depths, you are there. If I rise on the wings of the dawn, if I settle on the far side of the sea, even there your hand will guide me, your right hand will hold me fast. Daniel knew this. There, there is nothing God doesn't know. There is nothing God hasn't seen. There is nothing God is surprised about because he is God and he knows all things. I love Jeremiah 23, 24 in the New Century Version. It says this, he says, No one can hide where I cannot see him, says the Lord. I feel all of heaven and earth, says the Lord. There is no speck of creation where God has not been or is not. He's just bigger than we are. I mean, not only does he know all things, and I can't explain this, I'm going to make a, a little effort, we'll see how it goes. Uh, although I can't explain that he is not confined by time because we're all trapped by time. That's our God. He's bigger. Let's imagine you go to a parade, say a 4th of July parade, and um, you get there a little late, and your friend says, oh, I've been waiting on you. Glad you arrived. Said, Man, the best thing so far at the parade has been the clowns. Hey, they were great to watch. Said, really? said, yeah, if you want to see the clowns, he said, probably what we can do is just run on ahead of the parade and, and get further down in the parade, and if we go fast enough and far enough, we can go where the people here have already been, what they've already seen, and we can see what's already been seen. And, and so they go on ahead, <laughs> and they're able to see the clowns. You see, our God, he's been back He's been up front. He is present. He is everywhere. He, he is not trapped. As a matter of fact, if you could go above the parade, you could look down and you could see the whole parade at the same time. That is our God. We are limited. We can't do that. But God is not limited. He is able to see it all. That's our God. So the future is uncertain to us. It's certain to God. And the future is made known us. Look at uh, verse 26. The Lord answered and said to Daniel, whose name was Belshazzar, Are you able to make known to me the dream which I have seen and its interpretation? Daniel answered in the presence of the king, and he said, The secret which the king has demanded, the wise men, the astrologers, the magicians, and the soothsayers cannot declare the king. And then, guys, we come to the verse, which is central to our series. So drop down here in verse 28. He says, but, but there is a God in heaven who reveals secrets. We have a God who makes the future known to us as we need to know it. He provides what we need in order to be obedient to Him. That's how God works. And it's interesting, in the Scriptures, there is so much of the Scriptures where there are predictions, we refer to them as prophecies, that tell us things uh, about God that have not happened yet, but will happen. 
And of course, there are sections of scriptures that were prophesied that now have happened. And it is amazing when you look at all of these ancient predictions, these prophecies, and how they have come true and how God has revealed as he gave that little foreshadow, that hint of what was to come, and it was proved true. It produced faith in the followers of God that our God saw the need, and he did it, and he will do it again. So what type of things has he done? Well, I'll just give a few of these. And by the way, there is a term called compound probability, which means if one thing happens, you say, well, maybe that was a good guess. But if two things happen, you say, well, he may be on to something. And then if ten things happen, you say, woo-ha, I wish I could bet on this. I can make a fortune. There are 300 prophecies that tell us about Jesus Christ, the Messiah, coming in the Old Testament that pointed to the fact of the hope of God as he came in his mercy to save us from our sins. And the chances of that are astronomical, that all 300 of those predictions, those ancient prophecies could come true and point to Jesus Christ. As a matter of fact, I would say that it is inexhaustible, it is unarguable to say Jesus Christ is not God. Just from the predictions. Let me just give you some samplings of these. There's, like I said, I'm not going to read 300, but just a few. Um, Isaiah chapter 7, verse 14 we learn that he will be born of a virgin, this Messiah. In Micah chapter 5, verse 2, that he will be born in the city of Bethlehem. In Genesis 49, verse 10, that he will be born into the tribe of Judah. In Isaiah chapter 9, verse 1, that his ministry would not begin in Jerusalem, but in Galilee. In Zechariah chapter 9, verse 9, that he would ride into Jerusalem on a donkey. In Psalm 41, verse 9, that he would be betrayed by a friend. That he would be sold for 30 pieces of silver. That's Zechariah chapter 11 and 12. That he would be wounded and bruised. Isaiah 53, verse 5, that his hands, his feet would be pierced. Psalm 22, verse 16. He would be crucified with thieves. Isaiah 53, verse 12. His garments would be torn and lots would be cast to see who would own his garments. Psalm 22, 18. His bones would not be broken. Psalm 34, verse 20. His side would be pierced. Zechariah chapter 12, verse 10. He would be buried in a rich man's tomb. Isaiah 53, verse 9. He would rise from the dead. Psalm 16, verse 10. And that's just a few of them. Our God predicted what would happen. So when we look at his word, we can trust what he says. Although it may not have happened yet, and all the future is scary, as we have seen the faithfulness of God throughout time and through all generations, as he has pointed to the promised one, Jesus Christ, we can continue to point to him because he is faithful and he is true. And we can confidently lean upon him because he is our hope. He's our hope. And then fourth and finally, this last one, the future makes God known to us. Uh, verse 45, 
This is the meaning of the vision of the rock cut out of a mountain, but not by human hands, a rock that broke the iron, the bronze, the clay, the silver, and the gold to pieces. The great God has shown the king what will take place in the future. The dream is true, and its interpretation is trustworthy. I love the way he is described. The great God. He's not a little God. He's not a God who is dependent on what I do or what you do. He is almighty. He is the great God upon which we can thrust our cares and know that there is one caring for us. Matter of fact, I love that in, in 1 Peter 5, 7. Cast your cares on the Lord, for He careth for you. I learned a long time ago living the Bible. It said, let Him have all your worries and cares, for He is always watching you and thinking about everything that concerns you. That, that, that is the power of our God and the presence of our God. Um, verse 46, it says, The king Nebuchadnezzar fell prostrate before Daniel. This is the biggest king of all in that day. But when he had saw that his dream was understood by Daniel, who could not understand it unless God revealed it to him, and then he fell down. The king fell before the real king, the king of kings. He fell prostrate before Daniel, paid him honor, and ordered that an offering and incense be presented to him. The king said to Daniel, Surely your God is the God of gods and the Lord of kings and a revealer of mysteries, for you were able to reveal this mystery. Our God is the only one who is able you look at the other religions, leaders of those religions, they walked upon the earth for a certain amount of time, and then they faced the great enemy known as death. But we're different because our hope is in one who didn't merely die, but he died and he was resurrected from the dead, and he ascended to heaven. And he is praying for us. He not only died for us, he lives for us that we may live for him. And he makes the future known to us by his great gift of eternal life that he gives to us. And through the faithfulness of what he has done, he gives us confidence in the faithfulness of what he will do. Not only in our heaven that will awaits us, but until we get to heaven. As we trust him through the difficulty... Hey, this Isaiah 41, as you read Isaiah 41, Isaiah presents a case. He sets forth arguments. He, he tells them, he says, bring in your idols. Have them tell us what's going to happen. Have them declare to us what's to come. H have them tell us what the future holds. <laughs> you can't do that. He said, go to God. God is the one. He's the only one that has those answers. Jesus also reinforced this. This is John 14, 29. He said, I have told you now before it happens, so that when it does happen, you will believe. You will believe. If you think about Jesus Christ, he was unlike anyone else. Um, three things. Number one was his impact upon history. Jesus changed the course of everything. 
Jesus lived in a culture where the weak were pushed aside, where the weak were not given attention. Um, it's really amazing when you look in the society of his day where women were not given the recognition that they deserved. Um, quite frankly, as far as legal matters go, they were considered little more than property, property of their husbands. That's not how Jesus treated them. Jesus saw people as image bearers of the glory of God. And Jesus treated people that way. Now, Jesus wasn't always giddy-giddy nice. Sometimes he confronted people, and sometimes he gave them a spiritual spanking because they deserved it. But he gave people the recognition as children of God, made in God's image. That was Jesus. He, he changed everything by the way he lived and by what he taught and the power of that truth. And, of course, it even went beyond that. He said, he told his followers, he said, Guys, I won't be here forever, but I will send a comforter. I will send one who comes along beside you who will remind you of everything I said and teach you the things that I have said. And that's the Holy Spirit. And so his incomparable work, not only as he walked here, but by bringing and sending the Holy Spirit to dwell in each of us and to do that work. The second thing he did, I've already mentioned, he was resurrected from the dead. That was clear evidence that he is able to handle your future and handle mine. And it was completely handled as far as our biggest worries at Calvary. We have a secure place in heaven when we believe upon him. And that comes, that comes through his work. And then, of course, these prophecies. As we look at the prophecies, they point to Jesus for a reason. Because he's where the hope lies. But there is a God who can answer these questions. There is a God who can meet these needs. And this God performed that on an old rugged cross. Glad you have. I love how um, Corey Tending, the prisoner of war, the Jew who was taken captive in World War II, and her father died, her sister died, and God allowed her to survive and after the war to be able to tell people about Christ and how Christ sustained her through all the horrors of being in a concentration camp and watching all the suffering. But anyway, Corey said this. She said, Never be afraid to entrust an unknown future into the hands of a known God. Let's pray. Lord, uh, Father, we are scared or it's scary what is out there. But, uh, Lord, as we come to you, but, uh, God, hear us. Help us, Lord. We want to come and we want to be, we want to be honest before you. Sometimes we want to act like we're more than we are, or sometimes we pout because we think we're less than we are. But, God, you died on a cross to make us who we were meant to be. 
And I pray, Lord, that if there is anyone here who hasn't discovered who they are, who they're meant to be, a forgiven, a reclaimed, a redempted child of God. Father, you long to forgive us. It is your heart. It is what you want to do. Father, we don't have to live in fear. We we don't have to worry about what is going to happen. That doesn't mean it's going to be necessarily what we like in the future. But it means we're not alone. It means that you are there and that you will provide what we need because you are God. So, Father, if someone needs to maybe trust you for the first time this morning, what a great, what a great day. Just say, God, um, help me, forgive me, make your home in my heart. What a great day for that day. If someone here needs to do that, may that happen. Or you just be honest and say just a quick prayer, forgive me. I want to start a new life. I want to trust you. For others who just have some heavy burden that seems insurmountable, may our God be with them. Lord, may they come to this altar and pray. May they seek you. Father, for others who may need to say something to the church family that you've raised in their heart, Lord, of how great you are. Every day to praise, Lord. We want to hear from you. May you work. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Please stand and sing with me.